Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I'm a 34-year-old ex-stoner, high school dropout. I spent most of my formative years goofing off, screwing around, and coasting through life without a care for the future, like I thought the world was going to end the next day. When it became apparent that wasn't going to happen, when I finally matured somewhat and started taking things more seriously, it was already too late, and I was woefully unprepared for facing life in the real world. My parents finally got fed up with my shenanigans and kicked me out at 26, giving me $1,000 in cash to get started and leaving me to fend for myself. I can't say I blame them. Who wants to spend the rest of their life supporting a freeloading slacker without any direction in life? I got a job in the city, found a relatively cheap apartment, and began taking online classes, eventually earning a GED. I work as an after-hour security guard in an office building in the city. I'm not going to tell you where exactly I live. The job's relatively easy. I sit in a small room for 12 hours a day, looking at a bank of CCTV monitors, do a sweep of the building once every hour during my shift, and report any unusual activity on the phone to my supervisor at the district HQ. The job gives me a lot of downtime. Mostly, I just sit on my ass watching YouTube videos on my phone and listening to music. Sounds like a great setup, right? Basically, I, I get paid to do nothing. Did I mention I was a security guard? The trade-off is I get paid crap. And it's not like there's a lot of room for career advancement in my line of work. Plus, living in this city isn't cheap. Between rent, utilities, groceries, and bus fare, I usually have about $20 in disposable income at the end of the month. So when the old piece of crap RCA box TV I brought to my apartment from home finally went toes up, it's not like I could afford to buy a new one. I decided to go to the local Goodwill and see what they had to offer. Goodwill's a crazy place, and you never know what you'll find there, what deals you might score. My luck was in that day, and I immediately found a nearly brand new Samsung 7 Series Ultra HD flat screen with a 43-inch screen. Normally it costs over $300, but I was able to get it for only 60 bucks, which was still a bit more than I felt comfortable spending. I took the new purchase home and set it up, marveling at the crystal clear high definition picture. It was easily the best $60 I ever spent. It didn't take me long to realize that there was something odd about my new TV though. That night, my night off, I watched a new episode of a current hit network series. I didn't think much of it at the time, but the next morning, when I was on Facebook discussing the episode with the few friends I had made there, they had no idea what I was talking about when I described the plot. They told me last night's episode had been nothing like what I was describing. They told me I was nuts and suggested that maybe I'd been watching a different show by mistake. We argued about it for a while, then I signed out. I didn't really know or care about these people. 
I figured they were probably trolling me for some kind of joke. Except that when I went to Wikipedia and read the synopsis for the episode in question, I was surprised to see they were right. Last night's episode had been the one they claimed to have seen, not the one I distinctly remembered seeing myself. I tried to explain it to myself by reasoning that maybe what I had seen had been a rerun of the show I hadn't seen before. Maybe I had been on the wrong channel, or had fallen asleep without realizing it and dreamed the entire thing. I even thought that perhaps it had been a DVR the previous owners had left in the TV's programming or something. I shrugged it off, and had pretty much forgotten about the entire incident by the time I had to leave for work. I worked my shift, and got off at 4am the next morning, took the bus home and went straight to bed. Late the next morning, while eating a breakfast of cold Pop-Tarts and some reheated leftover coffee from the previous morning, yeah, I admit, I'm a bit of a slob, but hey, I'm a 30-something bachelor, give me a break. I flipped on my new TV and watched the news. The female newscaster had a solemn expression. Tragedy this morning downtown when the number C subway train derailed at 8.42 a.m., leaving a dozen people dead and 20 more critically injured. I changed the channel, not wanting to hear that depressing stuff. I channel surfed for about an hour, not really paying much attention to anything I was seeing. There wasn't much interesting on, so I turned on Netflix and watched The Big Lebowski, one of my all-time favorites. I followed the less-than-spectacular adventures of the dude, Walter, and Donnie for the next couple hours, and by then it was close to noon, so I turned off the TV and went to get some lunch and do some shopping before I had to leave for work later that afternoon. Later that day at work, I was down in the parking garage on my break, having a cigarette and shooting stuff with the garage attendant, a heavy-set, gray-haired, older guy named Carl, who I had kind of made buddies with. In passing, I mentioned the subway accident earlier that morning, and he gave me a puzzled look. He said he hadn't heard anything about any subway derailment that day. He asked me which train had derailed, and I told him it had been the number C. At 8.42 that morning. You're crazy, he replied with a snort. I took that train to work this morning at 8.30, and everything was just fine. I took out my phone to prove it to him, and looked up that morning's news but could find no mention of any subway derailments in the city. I got home early the next morning, feeling deeply troubled by what had happened. First, I had seen an episode of a TV show that no one else claimed had aired. And then I heard a news broadcast about a subway accident that had apparently never happened. What the hell was going on? Was I seeing things? Had I imagined it all? Maybe I wasn't getting enough sleep or something. Or maybe there was some kind of glitch in that TV. Maybe it was showing me old programming or something. And that subway derailment had actually happened in the past. I had some trouble getting to sleep that morning, feeling distinctly unsettled by what's going on. Nothing unusual happened for the next five days, mostly because I mainly watched movies and old syndicated shows on Netflix instead of current programming. I followed my usual weekly routine and had pretty much forgotten about the bizarre events of earlier that week by the time it was my night off and time for me to watch the same current TV series I had watched a week before. It was another new episode, a follow-up to the plot for the previous weeks. I watched it nonchalantly, then went to bed. 
I awoke the next morning to find my phone was packed with Facebook messages from the people in the group I had belonged to. Some of them were amazed. Some of them curious. Some of them seemed downright disturbed. Maybe even a little frightened. All their messages boiled down basically to the same thing. How the hell had I known what the next episode was going to be about a week in advance? I was confused at first. Then, slowly, it dawned on me. I did a quick search for the synopsis of last night's episode. It wasn't the episode I had seen the previous evening. It was the episode I had seen the week before. The episode they all argued hadn't aired. I felt a chill crawl up my spine. I didn't answer any of their messages. In fact, I deleted my Facebook account right then and there. I sat there in bed for over an hour. Even then, I still tried to rationalize what had happened. None of the people I knew on Facebook lived in the same city I did. I knew most TV shows film all the new season's episodes well in advance. Maybe the satellite that provided the network feed to the people who lived in my area had screwed up and skipped an episode, showing me the one that was supposed to air after it. It actually kind of made sense, to an extent. Even still, I didn't really feel in the mood of, for watching any TV that morning. I listened to music instead. While I did some much overdue chores, cleaning my apartment, doing my laundry, washing my dishes, then went downtown to run a few personal errands. Then I went to work and did my usual 12-hour routine of sitting on my ass in the security office, goofing off on my phone and occasionally checking the monitors to make sure there weren't any fires, burglars, or zombie serial killers in the building. I went down on my break to the parking garage to have my usual cigarette and make chit-chat with Carl. We stood around for about 10 minutes smoking and making small talk, not really talking about anything important. I casually asked him if he watched the TV series I did, and he just grunted and shook his head. I can't stand TV shows about a bunch of privileged, yuppie morons whining about their problems. I can't relate to that crap. I just shrugged, and that was pretty much that. A few minutes later, my break was nearly up, so I put out my smoke and we said goodbye. I finished the rest of my shift, then went home and went to sleep. I spent most of the next morning and early afternoon playing video games. When I came into the building around 4, the manager was waiting for me with a grim expression. What's up? I asked him, concerned. You didn't hear? He asked. No. Hear what? Carl, the parking garage attendant's dead. I was shocked. How? Didn't you see the news? He was killed in that subway train derailment this morning. I felt a sense of unreality wash over me, a feeling of deja vu. I felt like I was having a dream. What time did it happen? I asked the manager, my voice sounding far away. This morning, at 8.42, he was on his way to work. Which train was it? I asked him, already knowing the answer. The C train. For a second, I felt lightheaded. I thought I was going to faint. I willed myself to clear my head and get a grip. I thanked the manager for telling me, expressing sadness at Carl's death. I clocked in at four, then went into the security room and sat there in front of the monitors. My mind was reeling. It was apparent what was happening. I'd been for some time, but I had been in denial before then. 
But now, in the face of Carl's death, I had to acknowledge the truth of it to myself. The TV I had bought secondhand from a Goodwill store for $60 could somehow, some way, receive broadcasts from a week into the future. Could, in effect, predict the future. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. And frankly, I didn't care. I sat there dwelling on this, considering the ramifications of it all. I felt a kernel of wild excitement building up within me as I thought of the possibilities. I had to force it down and keep myself in check. I could tell everything that was going to happen a week before it actually did. Sports scores, the weather, politics, natural disasters, crime, accidents. The list went on and on. I felt a sense of guilt in there as well that I had had a chance of preventing Carl's death, but hadn't acted on it while I had the opportunity, but told myself that even if I had accepted what was going on before the subway accident and tried to warn him, he wouldn't have believed me anyway. I thought of the good I could do with my newfound power to foresee future events. I could prevent crime, save lives. I could learn the outcome of the next presidential election a week before everyone else could. I could even... A wild idea suddenly occurred to me and I bolted upright, galvanized with excitement at the tempting plausibility of it. The Powerball lottery drawing was tonight at 11. The jackpot was currently at over 500 million. I debated it briefly in my mind, the morality and ethics of it, then said screw it to morality and ethics. I called my supervisor and told him in no uncertain terms where he could insert my job, then left the office building for the last time feeling giddy and almost whimsical. I took the bus back home, knowing that I wouldn't have to rely on crappy public transportation for much longer. In a couple more weeks, I would be driving myself around in a new Rolls Royce. I raced up to my apartment and turned on my miraculous new TV, waiting anxiously with a pad and pen as the hours passed and 11 o'clock slowly crept around. I watched eagerly, as the little plastic balls bounced around in their machine, jotting each of the lucky six on my pad as they rolled down the chute, one by one, into the clear glass tube. I stared in awe at the six numbers I had written down. In a week, I was going to be $500 million richer. I'd finally discovered a way to rig the lottery that not only worked, but was perfectly legal. No one would ever know. I was rich. Could finally start living the life I had always dreamed of could. On TV, there was a sudden interruption. A special news report. A grim-faced newscaster sat at an anchor desk. He spoke solemnly, trying to remain composed on air, but his voice broke with an edge of panic several times as he spoke. This is a special Channel 13 news report. The White House has just, <clears throat> just released a statement. At approximately 9.27 Eastern Standard Time this morning, NASA detected uh, NASA detected an asteroid with a 100-mile diameter on a direct collision course with Earth. Scientists predict it will enter our atmosphere within the next week, an impact with a velocity of 60 miles a second, causing causing worldwide extinction. And there's nothing that can be done about it. The end of the world is upon us. I stared at the TV in shock. This couldn't really be happening. 
I changed the channels rapidly. It was the same on all the other networks. One newscaster said that rioting and looting was already breaking out in all the major cities as panic took hold of the streets. They then cut to the Pope at the Vatican leading the world in prayer, speaking in Italian with an interpreter translating into English. Our God, we are heartily sorry for having offended thee. I turned off the TV feeling numb. I looked down at the now useless winning Powerball numbers I had written down. I tore up the piece of paper. I went to the window and looked out at the calm city street below, then up at the night sky above. I stood there for a while, lost in thought. Then I sighed, got out my phone, and called up an old buddy of mine who used to score for me and also lived in the city. I told him I wanted an ounce of dank weed, and he said he could hook me up the next day. Why the hell not? I thought to myself as I ended the call. Now is as good a time as any to fall back into my old habits. I used to coast through life without a care for the future, like I thought the world was going to end soon. Now, I have an excuse. Just between you and me, I used to hate our prisoners. You might think it made my job as a guard harder, but it actually helped. First thing you gotta understand is that they are criminal trash. A bunch of robbers, killers, and drug dealers who must be kept in line. You ain't gonna get them to respect you with kind words and hugs. That said, I must give it to them. They are smart. Maybe smart ain't the right word, because they are a bunch of stupid idiots. But they are undoubtedly resourceful. Those guys can hide contraband in their cells like masters. Even if you search every corner and crevice, you're still going to miss something. They can also figure out such elaborate escape plans you'd be amazed. I can respect these skills. For most of the other guards, it's a pain in the ass. But I consider it a game. They try to hide something or find a way out. I bust them. And then it's time for the best part of this job. Punishing them. My favorite tool for this is the pepperball gun. The shot knocks those idiots back, and the gas that comes out of the bullet really messes them up. They trash around with teary eyes, even throw up sometimes. It's always fun to watch. At this point you might be disagreeing, thinking I'm a monster or something. But let me ask you this. If a bunch of murderers, rapists, were rioting like wild animals and trying to hunt you, wouldn't you protect yourself? Would you feel bad for them after they tried to kill you? I might be enjoying my job more than the other guards, but there's nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, the warden disagreed. Smug guy with his fancy suit and gold watch. He wanted to fire me at first. The reason? Use of excessive force, abuse of power, and some other bullcrap like that. But even that guy knew I'm good at what I do. So I was given a choice. Start working at another prison, or be an unemployed sack of crap. Not much of a choice, is it? I wasn't surprised that the prison where I had to go was short on staff. Everybody from my line of work has heard of that godforsaken place. The whole facility is underground, high security, no visitors. And best of all, it's supposed to be haunted or something. Nobody in the right mind wanted to work there. I never believed in ghosts and 
this kind of crap, but I still hated the idea. I wasn't afraid of getting spooked, but starting from scratch and winning the respect of everyone is a hell of a challenge, even in a regular prison. I was kind of hoping there was nothing to the rumors, but from the moment I got there, I knew something wasn't right. I gotta tell you, most prisons are really noisy. A lot of people create a lot of noise. Makes sense, I guess. But this place was quiet. The inmates were just sitting in their cells like sacks of potatoes. They did not talk to another. Even at lunchtime, they just sat down, stuffed their faces without speaking, and returned to their cells. It was the same with the guards. I tried to have a conversation with some, but you couldn't get more than a few words out of them. They were like robots. At least the job itself was a piece of cake. Almost too easy. Prisoners weren't harassing each other. They did not try to hide contraband in their cells or in their assholes. And they followed my instructions without a problem. Even out in the yard where most fights happen, they just walked around quietly. Now you might think that I was happy to have such an easy life there, but it creeped me the hell out. It's not normal for humans to behave this way, and there was no logical explanation for it. It felt like I was the only sane person in the building, and everyone else was full of sedatives. I tried to speak to the prison nurse, asked her what the hell was going on. Yeah, would you mind uh, telling me what's wrong with everyone here? Do you put something in the food or what? I asked, after I requested a session with her. She answered in a monotone voice. Our current population is 1,417 men, and all of them are perfectly healthy. Yeah, no kidding, lady. Now would you mind answering my question? She looked at me with her lifeless eyes and continued. The men that come in here search of change. We have to address their criminal thinking and lifestyle. Now, listen here. Do you put something in the food? A balanced diet includes foods from five groups and fulfills all of a person's nutritional needs. I realize she won't tell me anything useful. Maybe the whole thing had nothing to do with the food, but I was sure as hell that I would never touch anything from the canteen. I tried asking the other guards about the strange behavior of our prisoners too. I only got vague answers about how everything is normal and tranquil. Now I ain't easy to scare, but... Damn it, that place gave me the creeps. I wanted to resign after my first week there, but my job has never been easier. No riots, no fights, no nothing. Just boring guard duty. So I decided to put on my big boy pants and try to ignore all the unsettling crap. Easier said than done. After a month there, it felt like I was going crazy. I started hearing strange noises all the time unintelligible sounds and odd noises coming from somewhere. I tried to find the source, but the volume of these noises didn't change no matter where I went in the prison. Never too loud, but always there. Of course the other guards couldn't hear it. They just said the same thing with that empty looks on their faces. The place is quiet, as all prisons should be. Damn idiots. It was around this time that an inmate from my former prison got transferred to us. His name was Michael Hill, but everyone used to call him Big Mac. He was about seven feet tall and covered with tattoos. A fat guy, but as strong as an ox. 
I told you earlier how I love to use the pepperball gun. Well, this beast could take multiple shots without flinching. And to make matters worse, he hated my guts. As soon as he saw me, the piece of crap started shouting, Can't escape from me, you pussy. I came here for you, and mark my words, I'll gut you like a fish. Your days are numbered. Now you might think, seeing my friend Big Mac upset me. On the contrary, I was happy, as a clam, that someone I knew was there. Death threats from prisoners were nothing unusual for me, and I was curious to see if this place would break good old Big Mac as the rest of the prisoners. I was relieved when he started harassing the other inmates as a regular prisoner should. They never stood up to him. When he took their food, they just went back to their cells without eating. When he pushed them to the ground in the yard, they stood back up without saying anything and continued to walk around aimlessly. When the guy saw that all of the prisoners were pushovers, he started picking fights with the guards. They did not shout or beat him. They simply used mace. A lot of mace, actually, to calm him and put him in solitary for a day, every time he stepped out of line. After a few weeks, I could see that the place was starting to drive Big Mac crazy too. I figured he might be open to a conversation. I wanted to ask him what he makes of the place, and also about the disturbing sounds and noises I kept hearing. So I approached him out in the yard. Hey, Michael, you piece of crap, how are you holding up? Hey, CO. I was hoping this prison made a mute idiot out of you too, but I guess I'm not so lucky. His use of prison slang and the emotions in his voice made me unreasonably happy. Well, you ain't a pleasant ray of sunshine. Now listen here. I'm not thrilled either that I have to speak with you, but you are the only damn prisoner here who is more or less sane, so I wanted to ask something. Go ahead, screw. Did you speak with the other inmates? Does anyone know what the hell is wrong with this place? Damn zombies. The lot of them. Prisoners and guards alike. I was kind of hoping you would tell me what's going on here, and what's up with these noises. Can you hear them too? They're driving me crazy. He sank his ugly head as he continued. These were the worst three months of my life. The hell are you talking about? You've only been here for two weeks. Not even I have been here for three months. Something messed with your head big time, CO. You left your old prison and got transferred here about a year ago. Sure, Michael. You either take me for an idiot or you lost your mind too. Just take a look at your employee card, fool. I did as he suggested, and what I saw didn't make any damn sense. The card was issued 11 months and 4 days ago, but why the hell couldn't I remember? I wanted to resign immediately and get as far away from that messed up prison as possible. I left Big Mac and ran through the entire facility to the exit where a guard stopped me. Where are you going? He asked in the usual monotone voice. I'm going home. Not feeling too well, so let me out, will you? All correctional officers have living quarters within the prison grounds. But if you are ill, please go see the nurse first. Well, hell. He was right. Some of the memories came back to me. How could I forget? I've been living there with the other guards the entire time. I actually haven't left the place since I started working there. All this crazy stuff made me doubt. I wanted to sit down in my room and think things over. I walked through the concrete tunnel that connected the prison with the guards' quarters, turned right at the end, got into the elevator, exited on the minus third floor, and entered room 307. 
I knew the way, yet I couldn't recall living there. I looked around and all of my stuff was there. My clothes in my wardrobe, my laptop on the desk, the poster of my favorite country band on the wall. It was my stuff, in my room, without a doubt. I tried to remember the things that happened in the last 11 months, but my head was a damn mess. Memories of myself eating in the staff canteen flashed before my eyes, and it made my stomach turn, but I realized it didn't matter anyway. They could have been stuffing me full of different drugs without me remembering it. As I was thinking, I could swear the noises I've been hearing got louder than ever before. Did these noises have anything to do with my memory loss? I didn't really care. Only one thing mattered to me at that point. Getting the hell out of there. Now I ain't dumb. It was obvious they wouldn't let me go if I asked nicely. Officially I might have been a guard, but in reality, they were trying to make a brainwashed zombie out of me. But luckily my mind was too much for them to handle. I started to think about escape routes, but the whole damn building was underground. There was no internet or phone service either. The place was totally isolated from the outside world. I'll be honest with you, I was scared. I never had to think about this stuff before. My job was to prevent the prisoners from getting out, not figuring out ways to escape. But I knew who could help me, even if the thought made me sick. The next day I felt like hell. Those damn sounds in my ear got even louder, and my head was throbbing. It didn't help that as I opened my door, one of the other guards greeted me with the usual expressionless face and voice. You left your post yesterday without saying a word. This is unacceptable. Yeah, sorry about that, buddy. I had a bad day. Needed some rest. If you are not feeling well, please visit the nurse. No, no, it's all good now. I'm better than ever and ready for some good old guard duty. I will make a report about this irregularity. Do that, but now get the hell out of my way. I had to hurry up with my escape. If those guys figured out what I was planning, they would probably put me in a cell. Or worse. If those guys figured out what I was planning, they probably put me in a cell. Or worse. I just hoped a Big Mac would have some kind of plan. Getting out of there with help from a guard should be a piece of cake for him, right? I have no idea how to get out of this place. He said after I spent about half an hour convincing him that I was serious. Are you kidding me right now? You're supposed to be the big bad prisoner with thousands of escape plans. Listen here, screw. This yard is the only place that's not underground, but there is a 16 feet fence and a 30 feet concrete wall topped with more than a dozen guard towers around it. Even if we make it through the fence, the snipers will shoot us by the time we make it to the wall. But let's pretend we make it there. Are we supposed to climb out like Spider-Man? No, we should forget the yard and try the main gate. There are several armed guards stationed there. You must have seen them too when they brought you in. How are we supposed to have better chances there? If I could start a prison riot, we might be able to overpower them, he said. But it would be easier growing wings and flying out than convincing these gums to fight. The throbbing in my head intensified. It was almost unbearable. You better start thinking, or we are going to end up like these other brainless idiots here. There must be a way for God's sake. I hear you. The ringing in my head keeps getting louder every damn day. We need to get out now, he said, and sat quietly for a while. I could almost see the grinds turning in his fat head. 
All of a sudden, he asked, Do you know where the backup generator is? You want to cause a power outage, you fat mess? How would that help us? I can't start a riot, but this is the next best thing. It should confuse the guards, and the two of us might be able to make it through the main exit if we sneak up on them in the dark. But even with this element of surprise, we are going to need some good stuff from the armory if we want to force our way out. And how am I supposed to... I was interrupted by another guard. He approached me from behind and said, You should not talk to the inmates. You are exhibiting strange behavior. I will escort you to the nurse. To say that I didn't like our escape plan would be an understatement. But it was sure better than letting the nurse near me. It's now or never, Big Mac, I shouted. He jumped up and knocked the guy out with one punch. The other guards started running towards us, so I quickly handcuffed a Big Mac and told them that I will personally take him back to his cell. The bluff worked. They let me through, and once inside we could make our way to the armory. There was nobody in the room, which didn't surprise me. No one needed the riot gear in this prison. No one except us. Big Mac chuckled as he was getting into the body armor. Who would have thought that one day I'll be a Ninja Turtle? Yeah, very amusing. But would you hurry the hell up, please? There are security cameras everywhere. If they still don't know we are here, they will figure it out soon. I said as I picked up a flashlight. I'm almost ready, but you forgot your favorite tool. He said as he handed me a loaded pepper ball gun. The guy was more human than I thought. For a moment, I even felt bad for shooting him so many times in the past. We made our way to the backup generator in full riot gear. As we were running, I started to question my sanity. Have I lost my memory? Been hearing strange sounds, and now I have even armed a prisoner. And we were on our way to cut the power. It was a damn nightmare, but there was no way back. As we were getting closer to the generator room, the alarm went off. The damn thing was abnormally loud, sounded like an air raid siren. But at least it overpowered the other noises in my ear. Surprisingly, only one guard crossed our path, and Big Mac made short work of him with his baton. When we finally got to the generator room, I used my keys. We entered and closed the door behind us. The alarm was too loud. We couldn't speak with each other. But not much coordination is needed for unplugging power cables and pressing a big red button below the sign that says, Power Off, to be used in case of fire or emergency. Does being brainwashed in an underground prison count as an emergency? I would say yes. The generator stopped, the lights went out, and the alarm that was making my ears bleed finally stopped. We were in total darkness. I don't know which was worse, that or the stillness. Don't get me wrong, I was kind of glad that I finally couldn't hear the noises, but something wasn't right. No footsteps. No panicked voices in the distance. No nothing. Big Mac spoke up to break the silence. There is no time to waste. We are in the middle of an escape. Let's move. We turned on our flashlights, left the room, and made our way towards the exit. We were advancing slowly in the darkness, expecting a guard patrol to jump out from the shadows and attack us any time. But no one was coming. The only thing we could hear is... We were walking down the dark corridor was our own footsteps. What the hell is going on? Where are all the guards? I whispered. I don't like this any more than you. Something isn't right, but let's hurry up and get out of here. When we finally got closer to the exit, we could hear faint breathing. 
We turned off our flashlights and proceeded slowly towards the main gate, where the sound was coming from. There should have been at least ten guards there, but we could only see the silhouette of one person, standing in front of the gate. And to my surprise, for some reason the gate was open. That person was the only thing standing between us and our freedom. My hands were sweaty as I pulled out my pepper ball gun and shot. My aim was perfect. The ball hit it right in the head. But the bastard didn't even flinch. It just stood there as if nothing happened. I was looking at the shadowy figure in disbelief when it started speaking. I couldn't see its lips move, and the whole thing sounded like a whisper in my head. Experiment successful. Sadistic guard cooperates with violent prisoner. Time for the interview. Please tell me, Subject 432, what made you team up with a criminal? Did the guy really think that I was going to answer? I aimed at it again and took another shot. The pepper ball hit the figure, but it continued to speak, as if nothing happened. Test subjects 432 and 732 are non-compliant. The interview must be postponed. Power could be turned back on. Broadcast of infrasonic noise should continue. Subject 432 should be returned to his room, and subject 732 to his cell. Big Mac let out a roar and started running towards the figure, ready to smash its head with his baton. But as he reached the person and swung, all of the lights came back, blinding me for a few seconds. The noises in my ears also returned louder than ever before. Once I was able to open my eyes, there was no one there. I could only see Big Mac as he was swinging left and right with his baton and shouting, Come back and let me kill you, you rat. Let's just get out of here. We can think about this later. I don't want to stay a second longer in this damn place. I said as I grabbed his shoulder. He shut up and followed my lead. We ran through the gates and pushed ourselves forward through the passageway leading outside. After what seemed like ages, the passage began to rise, and we saw the light at the end. My memories are a bit fuzzy, but I can remember how great the sun felt as we made it outside. The relief that nobody was following us. The excitement as Big Mac was hot-wiring a car in the parking lot in front of the prison. The happiness as we were finally riding on the highway, and the refreshing taste of the beers we bought at a gas station to celebrate. I must admit, it was almost too easy. I had the feeling that they were letting us go, but hey, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? The only thing that's bothering me is I still hear these damn noises. I tell you, it is driving me insane. That's why I'm here, nurse. I told you everything just as you asked me to. But I doubt some bullcrap advice can help me. Just prescribe me some strong pills. I needed to relax a bit. I've been on the run for... Now that I think about it, I can't really remember. How did I even get here? You look awfully familiar. What the hell? The shadowy figure at the gate? I couldn't quite see its face. But it looked like you... In this room? No windows? Am I still in the prison? No. It's getting louder. No. No, please. Make it stop. Please. I shall return to my quarters. Please let me know when I can resume my work. Thank you. Interview Notes Reprogramming the brain of Test Subject 432 through psychological conditioning using infrasonic noise, met the modeled goal. 
The subject believed the escape attempt was successful. Loss of short and long-term memories within the expected range. Aggression level decreased. And empathetic tendency level increased. Further conditioning is not required. Subject 432 can return to his daily tasks. It took me nearly three months to build this mansion of a tree house for my daughter. It had slides and swings, windows and doors, ladders and steps. It had it all. I even insulated it and had power outlets, heating and cooling. This monstrous structure was a beautiful mix between a full-fledged apartment and a McDonald's play place. I was incredibly proud of it, but I must say that it fully solidified the truth in her words. Whenever my wife told me that I sometimes weigh overdo things. Truth be told, it only made her more right, since our daughter was only four years old. By the time I finished building the treehouse, there were only a few nice days left in the fall before snow hit, and my daughter only got those few days to play outside in my creation. Even though I did install heating in it, my daughter wasn't a big fan of going outside to play in the snow unless we turned it into a big event to go sledding somewhere. This was slightly disappointing to me, but she was only four, so I understood. When the snow melted and the temperature climbed again, she was out there playing in it almost instantly. This made me happy to see how excited she was with what I had made for her. For about a week, it was even difficult to get her to come back inside to eat and sleep. There had been a couple of nights I had to go out and drag her back in the house for bath time and bed. It was times like these, I was happy I had made the treehouse big enough and sturdy enough for me to venture up there. It was plenty big enough, that was for sure. I had made the inside 12 feet by 16 feet with an 8 foot ceiling. I secretly had planned that size so that if, for some reason, my daughter didn't like it, I could just turn it into a cool sort of man cave. A month went by with her out there, spending nearly every waking moment playing either inside or on the swings and slides. Then one day in the middle of the afternoon, my daughter came screaming out of the treehouse and into the house. Daddy, daddy, I don't like it. Whoa, 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 little one, what's wrong? I said as she barreled into my legs, nearly causing my knees to buckle. My treehouse, it's scary. Seriously? It's been your favorite place for months. Why is it all of a sudden scary? I asked with a little more annoyance in my voice than I intended. I saw a scary man in there. He was hurt, she said. Wait, what did you just say? Is there some... Just stay here, I commanded, as I ran out the door and toward the treehouse. As my hand touched the doorknob at the top of the steps, my heart jumped for a second, and the thought of how dumb it was charging inside with no real plan, if there truly was someone in there. Still, I turned the handle and burst into the room of the treehouse. Nothing. Various toys and Barbies on the floor, a kitty couch and a couple small beanbag chairs were the only things in the room. I'd like to say that I searched the place, but that was literally it. There wasn't much searching. It was all one big room, so search complete. I saw no man inside hurt, or otherwise, save for myself. I walked back out the door and back into the house. 
As I walked through the back door, I found my daughter in the next room over, sitting patiently, just watching the back door with her thumb in her mouth. Who is he? She said to me as soon as she saw me walk through the door. Who is who? I didn't see anyone out there. What did he look like? He's gone, she replied, completely ignoring my question and running past me back outside. What the hell just happened? I thought to myself as I watched her climb the steps and enter the treehouse from the kitchen window. I mentioned the odd experience to my wife a little later that day. She seemed only slightly concerned, and we both chalked it up to her exceptional imagination. That night as we sat eating around the table, my wife began to ask our daughter about what had happened. Daddy told me you saw someone in your treehouse today. Did they ever come back? Um, no. What did the man look like? Do you know how he got into your treehouse? He was scary. His mouth looked weird and looked like he had lots of owies in it. Do you know how he got in the treehouse? I chimed in, wondering if I was going to need to upgrade the security around the house. I don't know. I was just playing on the swings and, and then I came in to play with my toys and he was there. So he was already hiding in the treehouse? My wife asked. No, he was hiding like... In here, she said, pointing to her head. My wife and I locked eyes at the sound of this, and both let out a sigh of relief, assuming that it meant it really had been her imagination. Everything went much more smoothly and calmly the rest of the night. We went another week without any thought or mention of the situation. Regardless of the lack of hearing anything more about it, I still felt uncomfortable and the day after I decided to move the backyard security camera, pointing it at the treehouse as best I could. Sadly, with how much my daughter played back there, I wouldn't be able to set the motion detection on it without it sending alerts every five minutes. In the middle of the second week following the unusual afternoon, my daughter again ran into the house screaming about a man in the treehouse again. This time, I immediately ran out to the treehouse, and bursting through the door, I was again met with nothing more than an empty room. Frustrated and annoyed at the situation, I turned and began to leave the treehouse. Just as I passed through the doorway, behind me I heard a crack and a thud, as if something had been knocked over or broken. I spun around, and looking through the doorway from outside the treehouse, I saw nothing. I thought to walk back in and check a second time. I really wish I hadn't. As my foot crossed the threshold of the door back into the treehouse, everything changed. The light from the sun coming through the windows vanished, rusted steel and concrete surrounded me, and everything was bathed in an ominous deep red glow. An overhead light flickered and popped, giving me only quick random glimpses of the horror I was now surrounded by. Nearly every surface looked like it had been coated in a thick layer of sticky half-coagulated blood. Chains hung from the ceiling and ended with the same hooks you would imagine at a slaughterhouse. A rusted steel table sat against the wall with various crude rusted tools on it. The place sort of looked like an abandoned warehouse or meat locker of some sort. A clank rang out behind me, and I turned around, half expecting to see the doorway out into my backyard. I didn't see the door I was hoping for, but I did see a massive man, 
nearly seven feet tall and looked to be solid muscle. He was shirtless, but covered in scars. With the dim and flickering light, I couldn't tell if he was black or just completely covered head to toe in dried blood. The lips of the Goliath were missing, and its teeth had been ripped out and replaced with rusted nails, screws, and razor blades, crudely inserted at odd angles into its gums, and blood seemed to constantly run from the nightmarish dental work. A giant scar ran down its face, in large stitches using what looked like thick yarn or twine drenched in blood, held both the scar and one of its eyes closed. The large man raised its arms out to its sides, and I noticed that huge nails and screws were also sticking out of its skin in random locations. Blood dripped from each place a nail or screw had been protruding from his skin. He lowered his head as his arms became stretched out fully from his shoulders and let out a strange and wheezy attempt at a yell. I guessed that its vocal cords had either been severely damaged or removed. I could see rage rise in its one good eye as it began to run toward me. Oh, damn! What the hell? I yelled as I turned and ran as fast as I could. The dim and flickering light caused me to slip and stumble over hooks and chains lying on the floor that I had not noticed before. The man let out another wheezy yell as it chased after me. I screamed and ran. Stumble and roll, scramble to my feet, scream and continue running. I hit the wall clumsily when I tried to look back to see how much the creature had gained on me. It was getting closer and closer. I ran and felt along the wall, just trying to find my way in the nearly perfect dark that I had been surrounded in. The huge behemoth of a man was getting closer and closer. Finally I found it, a door handle, or a crash bar really. I slammed into it and luckily it burst open, and I fell through the doorway. Quickly, I scrambled to my feet, and as I stood fully up and began to run, I realized I was outside. I was once again in my backyard. Holy hell, I exclaimed looking back at the treehouse, my heart pounding furiously inside my chest and out of breath. My brain had insurmountable trouble in trying to comprehend what had just happened. Was it a hallucination? Some sort of waking stress-induced a nightmare? I couldn't truly grasp what I had seen or what I had just went through. I walked cautiously back into the house. A constant feel of uneasiness flooded my body. My wife standing at the back door saw the look on my face and asked if I had seen anything in the treehouse. I nervously chuckled at her choice of words, but not knowing how to explain, I just told her no, I hadn't. My daughter wanted to go back out the next day, and I refused to let her go out there alone. When we got out there, I stepped through the doorway first, telling my daughter to stand back and wait for a second. Nothing happened. I stood just inside the doorway and let my daughter enter, while I scanned the room looking for anything out of the ordinary. She seemed completely unaffected as she walked in and instantly began playing on the floor with her toys. As I saw this, I decided to merely shrug off my previous experience as my own temporary psychosis. I try my best not to be an overprotective parent, and I don't believe in the paranormal, but I can't get the images of that afternoon out of my head. It makes me wonder if there is any truth to it, or if there is truly something wrong. 
A few days later, I was standing in the kitchen, loading the dishwasher, and I heard a scream radiate from the backyard. Worried and confused, I looked over to confirm that, yes, my daughter was still in the next room playing. Nervous, I opened the back door and began to walk toward the treehouse. From the ground, I called out, not wanting to enter the structure. Hey, is someone in there? I stuttered with anxiety. No reply. Hello? Is there anyone there? The only response was another scream. This one was much less woman in pain, and much more guttural, demonic beast. What the... I mumbled under my breath, but was interrupted by another scream. This one back to sounding more like a woman in pain. Upset at the idea, I realized I was going to have to go up there to get any answers. My body trembled as I forced myself up the steps, my brain screaming at me in reluctance to enter. I held my breath and closed my eyes, as my hand grasped and turned the handle to the door. I opened the door, and after a few seconds, exhaled and opened my eyes. There was nothing. It was just as my daughter had left it a few days ago. Holy hell, I'm completely losing my mind, I said to myself as I stood there looking through the door into the essentially empty room. I really need to get my crap together. This is getting embarrassing. I turned to walk back into the house, and the corner of my eye caught something inside the room. I looked back and recognized a small stuffed pink squid lying on the floor next to the couch. Damn it, child. I told you not to bring your stuffed animals out here, I said to myself under my breath, as I began to walk in to grab it. Again, as I stepped through the doorway, the light faded. The red glow and flickering light returned, and screams bellowed out around me. Excruciating, horrific screams of pain filled the air. I was back in that hellish warehouse once again. My first thought was to run out for the door. My first thought was to run for the door again, but looking in that direction, it was gone. The place that held my escape was now nothing but flat, blood-covered concrete wall. Anxiety and fear rose in my throat as another scream flooded the room and I looked around to find its source. On a table in the middle of the room lay a woman. The giant of a man was on top of her, straddling her. Her chest and ribs had been cut and ripped from her body, exposing her organs. A huge rusted knife was stabbed into the side of her neck and I had no idea how it was possible she was still alive, let alone still screaming. The man was taking handfuls of her intestines and pulling them from her body. He was wrapping her organs around himself and stroking himself with them. He looked toward the sky and with his mouth gaping that loud, guttural yell vibrated from the room. After a few strokes, he would throw the chunk of intestine or other organ across the room. It would splat as it hit the wall or floor, and he would grab another handful and rip it from her open chest. Completely frozen in shock at the horrific sight, I watched as the woman's head turned toward me and screamed again. You could already see the vacant look of death in her eyes. Just as she looked toward me, a chunk of stomach came flying at me and splatted against the ground near my feet. He grabbed her heart and ripped it from her chest, lifting her entire torso off the table before the artery snapped and her lifeless body slammed back down. He yelled out again as he brought himself to orgasm, 
and shot a black tar into the open blood-filled cavity that had been the woman's chest. I nearly passed out from the pure shock and disgust, but instead I snapped out of my trance and began to run. Not sure where to go, I just knew I had to get out of there. Again tripping and stumbling over various things on the ground, I found the wall on the opposite side of the room, far from the light. I began to feel around in total darkness for a door. I heard a yell and turned back. In the dim light I saw the goliath of a man bite into the woman's flesh with his rusted screws and nails for teeth, then flipped the table over. He yelled out again, and just as he looked like he was starting to look for me, I found a door. I pressed and slammed against the door, but it just wouldn't open. The failed medical experiment of a man heard my attempt to begin toward me. I began to panic, slamming harder and harder into the door, still to no avail. It just wouldn't budge. He continued running at me, getting closer and closer. I took steps away and threw my body into the door and still barely any movement. He got to me and tackled me into the door. As we both slammed into it, the impact broke the door free. As we fell through the doorway, he disintegrated and disappeared, while I fell backward down the steps, landing on my back in the grass of my backyard. My body filled with pain. I slowly got up, staring at the open door in utter disbelief. I stood staring for what felt like an eternity before my wife came out and asked me what was wrong. I did my best to explain the horrific images as best I could, and once I was done, she ran back into the house, yelling something about having a plan. My wife is the much more superstitious one of the two of us, so she decided to call a friend that would know what to do. I had no idea what was truly going on, so reluctantly, I agreed to have this crystal-wielding hippie witch doctor show up to our house. A few days later, she showed up, and I say showed up because after pulling into our driveway, she refused to get out of her car and just called my wife from the driveway. My wife put her phone on speaker so I could hear the conversation. Something is very wrong here, she said. I feel a presence stronger than I have ever felt before. Well, can you come burn some sage or something to get rid of it? My wife said. No, absolutely not. I'm not leaving my car. I need to go, and you should get a hold of someone else to clear that evil spirit from your property, she replied. Can you come in the house and talk to us? It seems to be only in the treehouse in the back, I said trying to get as much time for answers as I could. No, it's not. I'm sorry, is all she said before the call ended, and we watched her drive off away from our house. What was that supposed to mean? What do we do now? I asked my wife. I don't know. That was the only person I could think of. Well, at least there will be no more playing in the treehouse, okay? I responded. Yeah, I'll try to look online for someone else to help, she said as she walked off toward the office. Sure. I'm going to go block the door to the treehouse so she can't just wander in there. I said walking toward the back door and motioning to upstairs where our daughter slept. Avoiding it altogether seemed to work well enough. I was disappointed at not being able to use what I had put so much work into, 
but it had been a month since we had any problems with it, so... Oh well. During that month, my wife had messaged and called numerous people she found on the internet, trying to get at least an explanation for what was happening in our backyard. All her effort hardly got any results. Most of the people never responded. Some refused to help, or even investigate. And the ones she got to come to the house did the same thing as the First Lady. They either refused to come inside, or just drove past without stopping at all. Finally, I had had it with all of this, and told myself that it was all bull, and there was nothing actually wrong. I went out to the treehouse and unblocked the door, took a deep breath and walked inside. Nothing. I was perfectly fine. A few spiders had made some impressive webs inside, but besides that, it was all fine. Ha! See? I knew it! I yelled out. Just to prove it to myself, I even walked over to the doorway and jumped back and forth across the threshold a few times, with no effect. Hell yeah, I was right, it was all in my head, I thought to myself as I walked back inside. It's fine, I told you it would be okay, I said to my wife as I walked in. I then told her what I had just done out there, and she did nothing but give me a concerned look. I really don't think that was a very good idea. What if you just pissed whatever it is off, she said. Oh, whatever. There's nothing out there. It was all in my head, I'll prove it. I replied overconfidently, as I began to walk back outside. When I got back out to the treehouse and up the steps to the door, I looked back at my wife standing, staring at me from the back porch. See? Nothing, I said just before walking through the door. As I stepped through, everything changed again. The darkness was back in that haunting red glow that seemed to be coming from everywhere and nowhere at the same time. The chains with hooks draped down from the ceiling held decayed and naked bodies this time. A few of them swung back and forth, as if someone had just run into them as they walked past. Every one of them had its chest torn open, with their organs either missing or spilled out onto the floor. From the far side of the warehouse room, I heard a scream followed by the groans and yell of the massive demon of a man I had run into the other times. Oh, damn it, I whispered to myself, realizing I had seriously messed up. The smell of rot and decay was overwhelming, and I nearly threw up as I pushed past the bodies. Making my way hopefully toward a wall and some sort of doorway out here, each time I pushed against one of the hanging bodies, something would fall from them. Various body parts and organs fell out, or broke off hitting the floor with thuds and splats. The sound made me flinch every time. I made my way slowly through all the bodies, for what seemed like an eternity, before I came to an opening. I had been traveling in the wrong direction, and it led me right to the beast. I could see it between two of the swinging corpses. Different this time. It looked as though it had grown at least a foot taller. Bigger in every aspect including all the rusted nails and screws, seemed to have changed to the size of long, sharp railroad spikes. Its muscles now completely oversized, bulged, and dripped with blood both from the various impaled spikes in his skin and from the splatter of his victims. His jaw had become more pronounced, and the rusted screws and razor blades he had in place of teeth were much bigger. 
He also now had large rusted metal bloodied horns that looked like twisted rebar jetting from the top of his head. I caught the horrified look from the man laying naked on the table, just before the beast grabbed his skin at the top of his chest and ripped it down and away from his body, like tearing off a shirt. The beast looked toward the sky and dangled the skin over his face, letting the blood drip all over him before dropping the skin into his mouth and swallowing it whole. The man on the table began to scream in pain, but his cries were cut short as the beast leaned down and bit into the man's throat. Somehow still alive and alert, all the man could do was sputter blood from the gaping wound where his throat used to be. My heart felt like it was going to burst through my chest. It was beating so hard and so fast. I couldn't have held my eyes open any wider in terror. All I wanted to do was look away and run, but the horror of what I was seeing rooted me to the spot, and I felt paralyzed. The beast roared in the man's face, and it began to bellow a deep and haunting sound I could only describe as some sort of demonic laugh. It got louder as it again looked toward the sky, and after a few seconds... It suddenly snapped its head back down and ripped both arms from the man's body at once, sending arcs of blood flying through the air. It threw one arm off and into the distance and took a huge bite out of the other before also throwing it away. The man, now having no way to make any noise, just sputtered more blood from his throat in response to the pain. I watched on in shock, knowing I really needed to get the hell out of there as the beast leaned in and seemed to study the man's face. The beast's thick, black saliva, dripping onto him as he held his gaze, mere inches apart. Another roar exploded from the creature's mouth, and my shock suddenly broke. I began to move as quickly and quietly as I could through the bodies, in the opposite direction, desperately looking for a wall or door. The sound of ripping came from behind me, and shortly after I was hit in the back by part of a leg, with a huge bite taken out. There wasn't much of the man on the table left, and I knew that meant I was very quickly running out of time, before he would be looking for someone else to put on that table next. Now covered in blood and viscera from pushing through all the corpses, I finally made it to a wall. Sadly, I found no door, and began to run down the wall, my finger slid along it, hoping to feel a door. In my panic, I ran straight into another wall as I came to the corner of the room. As I hit the wall with a loud thud and fell back, another roar emitted from the center of the room. I stood back up and, placing my hand on the new wall, began to run down it. My footsteps making so much noise now as I panicked, running along the wall. I heard chains begin to swing, and I knew that the beast was on the move. Damn it, damn it, damn it, I mumbled to myself as I ran. I smashed face first into another wall, another corner, and still no door. Standing back up again, I turned and made my way down the third wall. My face and body hurt so badly from slamming into two walls without even slowing down. As I ached, I ran, my fingers still sliding along the wall. I felt the wall shake and a roar erupted through the air. The beast must have just slammed into the same wall I was running along. Not thinking it was even possible, my panic rose even higher. 
Then I felt it. A door frame. I stopped suddenly and felt all around it. It was another crash bar handle, and I stepped back and kicked with all my might at the bar. My heart racing, as I began to just barely make out, in the red glow, bodies on chains swinging, as something was tossing them aside as it came directly for me. I kicked at the crash bar a third time, and the door flew open, as if someone had opened it from the other side, before my foot made contact. The force of my kick caused me to fall forward through this suddenly opened doorway, and I came tumbling down the steps to the treehouse landing in the grass. My wife let out a scream as I came flying through the doorway, and ran to me as I hit the ground at the bottom of the steps. What the hell just happened? Why are you covered in blood? Are you okay? Should I call the ambulance? I looked down at my body, and she was right. I was still covered in all of the blood and guts I had picked up pushing through all the hanging bodies. Screw this, I exclaimed as my wife helped me to my feet, and I hobbled off to the garage. My wife stood at the bottom of the steps staring up at the door to the treehouse as I came back from the garage carrying a gas can. I told my wife to move out of the way and to grab a lighter as I started pouring gasoline all over the treehouse as best I could without stepping inside again. I poured half of the can everywhere I could reach, and through the other half, can and all, through the doorway and into the treehouse. Still not really knowing what was going on, my wife stood in the grass holding a box of matches, and as I returned to her side, I took them out of her hand. I struck one match and dropped it back in the box. The rest of the matches lit as I threw it up onto the top of the steps next to the door. We stood next to each other and watched as the treehouse quickly turned into a raging fireball. It was nearly just a pile of ash and scorched earth before the fire department was called and showed up. When they did arrive, I held them back making sure there would be nothing left of the treehouse. That was nearly a year ago now. Grass has grown back over the charred spot in the yard where the treehouse once stood. The fire marshal had lots of questions about what had happened, but I just told him I must have put in some bad wiring that caused the fire. I don't think anyone would have believed me anyway if I told them what really happened with it and why I did it. It's been peaceful around the house since that all went down, but my daughter just came running up to me a few minutes ago. She was yelling about a scary man in her toy room. I'll buy her new toys. But I'm going to call the moving company. We're leaving. <laughs>